Welcome back to Bethesda Broadcast. Today, we are getting back to our study through the Gospel of John. In the message today, you will hear Pastor Roy start a multi-part message called God's Antidote for Anxiety. Today, Pastor Roy will look at some of the causes of anxiety and the first of four prescriptions from John chapter 14. If you have a Bible, open it up to John 14 and follow along with Pastor Roy. We're going to continue our series uh, in John chapter 14. I do not have a PowerPoint today because we were away this weekend and I thought, well, maybe I'll get back and get a PowerPoint together. And I came in this morning and couldn't get on the internet and couldn't even print out my notes and couldn't get to any kind of PowerPoint stuff because the internet wouldn't let me. And, and uh, of all things, I'm preaching on anxiety. <laughs> and that's exactly what I felt. In fact, I felt it all week, I think, uh, just trying to get ready for the sermon and and everything, and I thought, man, God has a sense of humor. I mean, I'm like, I'm wanting to put this together, and I'm getting stressed out, and I'm preaching on anxiety. So I guess the sermon is for me, and if you want to listen in, I trust that you will hear something as well. In fact, I thought about saying that uh, if you haven't had an anxious thought in the last 12 months, I could let you leave now, or maybe even let you speak, and I'll sit down. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, we all face anxious moments, don't we? We really do. And I need to start off with a story this morning. Uh, that was a, it's a true story that happened in Pam and I's lives. And it actually happened over 20 years ago because this was actually when we were dating and we weren't even married yet. And we were in a singles group in Virginia and they had the bright idea of going on a whitewater rafting trip. And so I had never been whitewater rafting in my life. I was pretty ignorant about it. And she began to tell me how much fun it was. She had gone several times. Oh, it's so much fun. You're going to have a blast, you know. And, and so her excitement and enthusiasm convinced me against my better judgment. And um, I should have known when we got in the car and we started heading to West Virginia that things weren't going to work well. Uh, some of you don't know maybe, but back east, there are more jokes about West Virginia than any other state in the Union. I mean, you know, jokes like, uh, you know, how do West Virginians decide where they're going to build a house? The answer is wherever their pickup truck breaks down. And the reason they say that is because if you drive by a lot of their houses, there's broken down pickup trucks in the yard. Uh, so, you know, that's the kind of, the, the mantra of West Virginia. So anyhow, we make our way over to West Virginia, we get out of the vehicle, we go get our gear, our oars, our life jackets, our helmets, and I thought, what are we doing? Are we going into battle or what? Getting all this gear on, and, and then we get in the water, and the, guy, the guide slash instructor takes us out in the water, and he says, now we're going to practice. And I'm like, practice? Practice What? And he says, we're going to practice rowing because he says, we need to row in sync because he says, out on the river, there are rapids from class two to class five. I didn't know what that meant, but I have since learned I hate class five rapids. <laughs> and I will never 
by the grace of God, ever go through a class five rapid again, not by choice. And so, anyhow, we made it through several class two, three, four, and a couple five rapids. I say made it through, we survived. We were probably two-thirds of the way through our trip. The raft in front of us that was one of our group got hung up in a class five rapid, which was a, I learned later, a double Z rapid. I mean, it could have been triple Q for all I know. But anyhow, we're going through that rapid, and the guide, because he sees the raft in front of us get hung up, he said, we need to change directions. And so, because of their problem, it threw us in a problem, and so he tried to change courses. It did not go well. Our raft went up against a huge, gigantic rock, and it was sitting on a 45-degree angle, and we were looking at death. <laughs> I mean, we were looking at the surging water, and I'm not a big water guy, and I mean, you talk about anxiety exponential. And let me mention this, prior to going up against the rock, when we were making our way down the river, the guide felt it necessary to point out a place where somebody had drowned a few weeks earlier, just to boost my confidence level. And I'm like, so I was already less than confident. We go up against this rock, and prior to going up against this gigantic rock, our guide had been flipped out of the raft. And so was Pam. I looked, and I'm like, I don't even see her. I, I don't know where she is. I finally spot the guide, and he has a frightened look on his face. Another strike of confidence for me. And we managed to get a rope to him. Somehow he gets back in the raft. And I'm just like, I've got my feet under the seat. I am not going out of the raft unless it tips over. I mean, I love Pam, but there's no sense in both of us <laughs> going down. I mean, it just... There's no sense in God taking both of us. And I mean, I thought I was going to be a widow before we ever got married. Um, and so there I was, and, and there we were, and somehow he got back in the raft, and I have no idea. It had to be the grace of God. Had I gone in the water, I believe I would have drowned because I would have panicked. And so the guide got back in. Somehow he got that raft off the rock, and got us through the rapid upright. I have no idea how that happened. I have no idea how that happened. And we made it through that rapid, and then down river was Pam, <laughs> floating along, and I think you had a paddle, or somebody got you a paddle, and, and she literally thought she was going to drown because the current was so strong, it kept pulling her under, and she was scraping rocks. And you talk about anxiety. It was a very anxious moment. And the next morning, I have to share this with them. I'm sure her heart rate is up right now, just thinking about it. The next morning, uh, Pam shares with me that she got up and she did her devotions. And here's the passage, and she was going through Psalms. And here's the passage she read. Psalm 69, here's what it says. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
I'm like, what are the odds of that? I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I mean, the faithfulness of God in just ministering to us. And so I have, to, I have to ask the question, what causes us to be anxious? In fact, I would like you to take out your pen or pencil, and I want you to write down on the sheet in front of you, on the notes, what it is that causes you to be anxious. Maybe there's something right now you are dealing with that is absolutely stressing you out, and your thought is, you know, if this one thing was not in my life, life would be a lot smoother. What is it? And you're thinking, one, I could think of three or four. Well, write them down. If you can't come up with one, look at your neighbor's paper, because you can probably use theirs. Um, I mean, seriously, we all have something, don't we, that we struggle with, that makes us anxious? I mean, for me this week, it was a sermon, quite frankly. I'm like, man, I'm not getting time, and then this PowerPoint thing, I can't, you know, and it was stressing me out. And so how do we deal with that? I mean, God's got a plan, doesn't he? Um, he does. And so many times we think if this one situation wasn't in my life, things would be great. You know, if it wasn't for this one bomb that exploded, <laughs> life would be good. Let me encourage you, whatever you wrote down, God wants to use in your life to develop your faith. I have no doubt in my mind. God wants to use it to change your life. Not change your anxiety, change your life. And in the process of changing your life, your anxiety level will change. But don't pray for God to necessarily remove the anxiety as much as God teach me something through it. I think that's the key. What are some sources of anxiety that we face? One is personal threats like whitewater rafting, <laughs> a personal threat uh, of personal injury, loss of life, a dangerous situation, somewhere where you feel vulnerable. That's when I get anxious. Um, maybe for somebody else, it's a feeling of inadequacy or a lack of preparation. I don't feel like I have the adequate resources to do what I need to do, and I get stressed, and I get anxious. Uh, or, students, if you didn't prepare for the exam... You probably get anxious, and you should be. <laughs> uh, sometimes you get anxious even if you do prepare. But when you don't prepare, you can get really anxious. Thirdly is uncertainty. It's uncertainty about the future, a lack of control over people or events. There was a psychology professor at Harvard named Daniel Gilbert. He drew up a Gallup Healthways Well-Being Index, and he stated in 2009 that this index showed that Americans are smiling less and worrying more than they were a year ago. Happiness is down and sadness is up. That we're getting less sleep and smoking more cigarettes and depression is on the rise. He stated the real problem is not financial, not having enough money, but something else, uncertainty. People don't know what's going to happen. Will I have a job next week? What's ahead in the future for me? Professor Gilbert pointed to a Dutch experiment 
where some subjects were told they would be intensely shocked 20 times. The researchers told a second group they would receive three strong shocks and 17 mild ones, but they wouldn't know when the intense shocks would come. The results? Subjects in the second group sweated more and experienced faster heart rates because of uncertainty. Uncertainty caused their discomfort because they didn't know the future. So it's a source of anxiety. A fourth source of anxiety is sin. Hidden or secret sin causes incredible anxiety because guess what? What if somebody finds out that I'm living a lie, that I'm living a double life, that I'm breaking God's commandments? And what if somebody finds out that I'm, that's the kind of person I really am? What if my spouse finds out? What if my kids find out? What if my friends find out? And so there's sin. Maybe you're anxious because you're going to face the judgment of God and you have not repented of your sin. That anxiety, my friend, is there to drive you to Christ, to drive you to the foot of the cross so you don't have to carry the anxiety. You lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, God, I don't want to carry this worry. I don't want to carry this anxiety. I don't want to carry this stress anymore of sin. I want to be done with it. And God, I lay it at the foot of the cross because you died for my sin. You paid the penalty for my sin. You said I can cast all my care upon you because you care for me. Oh, man, what a blessing. God has made provision for sin. We don't have to carry the anxiety. People get addicted to drugs and alcohol because the guilt is unbearable and the anxiety is overwhelming because they won't lay it down at the foot of the cross. I implore you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, Don't carry your sin another day. (laughs) In fact, don't carry it another hour. Humble yourself and receive the grace of God, the gift of God that is free, that none of us can buy. A fifth source of anxiety is fears, phobias. I looked up and and, uh, I've got this uh, huge book at home that has all kinds of words in it, and it had this whole list of phobias. I mean, some of them you can't hardly pronounce. Uh, Euphobia. Some people have a fear of good news. You know, they can't handle good news, and they're just afraid of good news. Some people have cyberphobia. They're afraid of computers. Anybody here afraid of computers? (laughs) Cyberphobia. Some people have pantherophobia. I said, what in the world is pantherophobia? Fear of (laughs) mother-in-law. You ever have that? (laughs) Some people have phylacrophobia, fear of baldness. Some got over that fear a while ago. Don't point any fingers. Some have phronemophobia. Now here's where the parents point to their kids. Fear of thinking. They're afraid to think. Some have psychrophobia, fear of cold. I probably have that one. (laughs) 
And some have anthrophobia, fear of people. That's why they don't hang around after church. They're afraid to interact with people. And maybe it's because of something in their life. They don't want people to get close to know who they really are. Um, or, you know, and, and you know what? If you have a fear of people and you write that down as anxiety, God wants to help you overcome that fear. He really does. Don't live in bondage to that fear. Overcome it. God wants to help you overcome that fear. So God's antidote for anxiety can be applied by taking these four prescriptions. I'm going to give you all four, but we're only going to address the first one today. You're like, how in the world is he going to get through these? I'm not. I'm going to give you the first one. We're going to take our time. Um, but these four prescriptions can be applied applied to anxiety. Now understand that an antidote is something that relieves, prevents, or counteracts. And a prescription is something that is written, it is a written order to do something. But understand, as soon as you write down these prescriptions and you implement them in your life, don't think that's it and you've conquered anxiety the rest of your life. We have to apply these on a daily basis in our lives. So here they are. Let me give you the four, and then we're going to go back and address the first one, and we'll address the rest next week. The first prescription is to trust God's eternal provision. God has provided for you and I eternally. And because of that, we have a confident hope because of God's eternal provision. Trust God's eternal provision. The second prescription is to believe God's eternal promise. God has made promises to us that are eternal. They're not temporary. They're not just for a limited time only, like something you buy on tele off the television commercial. It's eternal. And we believe God's eternal promise. And one of his eternal promises is a coming Savior. I find great encouragement in that. That God is coming to redeem us out of this sin-cursed earth. We have a coming Savior. We have a confident hope. The third prescription that God has given us is to experience God's eternal presence. God's eternal presence. You see, when Jesus left, the disciples were concerned what are we going to do? Jesus is gone. And what did he say? I'm going to send you another comforter. We have a complete counselor in the Holy Spirit. So God has given us everything we need. Confident hope, coming Savior, a complete counselor, God's presence. The fourth prescription. We accept God's eternal peace. He has given us a peace that doesn't come like the peace of the world. The peace of the world is contractual. It is conditional. God's peace is unconditional. And nothing can separate us from God's peace. And that is our controlling thought for the believer. So let's address this first one here this morning. God's eternal provision. 
Look in John 14, verse 1. Jesus lets the disciples know that he is leaving. The disciples are stressed out. They are anxious. They are agitated emotionally. They're upset emotionally. And here's what Jesus says to these agitated, upset, anxious disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be anxious. Be agitated. And here's the remedy. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So here's our confident hope that God has given himself to us. You see, there is this sense that we are going to live forever. This is not all there is. There is a future. There is a hope for the believer in Jesus Christ that we will be with Jesus forever. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, said the sense that we will live forever somewhere has shaped every civilization in human history. Australian aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a distant island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic, an ancient Babylonian legend, refers to a resting place of heroes and hints at a tree of life. In the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to a future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said, The day thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Although these depictions of the afterlife differ, the unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is belief in life after death. The study of man gives evidence to suggest that every culture has a God-given, innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all there is. So this is not a temporary provision. It's eternal. Now you think of the greatest gift that God could give mankind. What would it be? To me, eternal provision. I can't think of a greater gift that God could give any of us than eternal provision. And how does he done that? Well, he has provided salvation through Jesus. So what does he tell us? Don't be anxious, agitated inside. Trust in God. Trust also in Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us is the answer for our anxiety. God has provided salvation through Jesus. This is what salvation is all about. It's believing in who Jesus said he is. It's trusting in what Jesus said he has done for us. He told us back in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. 
Jesus said he's the good shepherd. What did God tell us about himself in Psalm 23? David writes about God and he says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. And I what? Shall not lack. I shall not be in need. Everything that I need, God has. If I have a lack in my life, if I have some lack in my life, it's because God wants me to have that lack. If I have some anxiety in my life, like I did even this week, or maybe you did this week, guess what? God wants us to have that anxiety. You said, wait a minute, I thought God didn't want us to take some away. He does, but listen, wait a minute, hang on. He allows us to have the anxiety, so the anxiety will not consume us, but it will drive us to Jesus Christ. You see, because the truth of the matter is, if everything was smooth and I never worried and I was never anxious, I would not be compelled to go to Jesus. I would be compelled to go to me. <laughs> Trust me. Believe me. Use my wisdom, my confidence, my ability, my power, my strength. But here's what trust is. Trust is placing my confidence in the character, ability, strength, and truth of God. Let me say that again. Trust is placing my confidence in the character, the ability, the strength, and the truth of God. And that's what he's telling us to do. Trust in me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I put my confidence in Jesus Christ. George Mueller, who started orphanages over in England quite a few years ago, said this. And he was a man of faith. He actually lived by faith. He prayed. He prayed food on the table as the kids in the orphanage were sat around the table with no food in the house. And he had such faith and confidence in God and the knock on the door would happen and food would be there when they were ready to eat. That's the kind of confidence he had in God. Here's what George Mueller says. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I like that. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. He's telling us that anxiety and faith are incompatible. <laughs> we're either going to be anxious, or we're going to put faith in Jesus Christ, and God will take that anxiety away from us as we trust him. You see, this trust allows me to look forward to the future with hope. It gives me confidence for today and hope for tomorrow. It allows me to be an overcomer. In 1 John chapter 5, the last part of verse 4, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Listen, he asked the question. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see where our faith is anchored, it's in the person of Jesus Christ and his heavenly Father. If you want to embrace your sin and live in your sin, 
and live an anxious, defeated, miserable life and spend eternity separated from God, that's your choice. My friend, that's not the choice I would encourage you to take. But you can take it if you want to. And I would encourage you to turn to Christ. We believe in the words of Jesus and we believe in the works of Jesus. And what that does is it gives me a sense of security. My security is in a person. That's why it's not the Ten Commandments and it's not God's law. I don't get security from that at all. I don't get security from rules. I get security from a person. (laughs) I get security from a relationship. I can talk to God about my insecurity. I can talk to God about my anxiety. And he helps me. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, talking about Satan. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. See, again, it's going back to Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that we put our faith and trust in Jesus. So our trust God has provided salvation through Jesus. Secondly, God has provided eternal life through Jesus. Salvation, eternal life through Jesus. He tells us in Colossians chapter 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here is a huge key to overcoming anxiety is getting my mind off this and onto that. Out of this world and into the next. That's what will erase my anxiety. I'm not living for here. I'm not trying to amass wealth here. I'm concerned about wealth up there where thieves can't break in and steal. I'm concerned about eternal souls being saved. That's my heart passion. That's my desire. And when I do that, my anxiety dissipates greatly. Because see here, what is the goal of anxiety? Think about this for a moment. What is the goal of anxiety? The goal of anxiety is to control my mind. Is it not? Yeah, that's the goal of anxiety, is to control my mind, to preoccupy my thinking about something other than God. Does this make me look good? What will people think about me? How can I fix this situation? What if that doesn't happen? What if this doesn't happen? And I get myself all worked up. And God's like, does it matter? And instead of saying, what will people think about me? It should be, what will people think about God? (laughs) How can I fix this situation? Or how is God going to help me in this situation? You see, somehow we leave God out of the equation. It's about me. I. It's on me. And it's really on the Lord. (laughs) He says, cast some of your care on me. You can't cast it all. I can't handle it all. No, cast all your care on me because I care about you. I mean, what an invitation. We can cast all our care on Jesus Christ that he cares for us and has provided for us. You see, here's what the Bible says about the sinful mind. 
See, G, or, or Paul tells us to set our mind on things above where Christ is and set our hearts on things above and our minds. And here's what the Bible says the sinful mind is. The sinful mind is hostile to God. Did you hear me? The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't want anything to do with God. It gets angry at God's commands. It gets angry when they're convicted of sin and confronted with their need for righteousness. Sin gets angry. The sinful person gets angry when they're confronted with their sin. If they don't repent and they reject it in pride, you get angry because the sinful mind is hostile to God. And that's why you hear people when they're confronted with their sin and on television, they, they rage out against people. You know, the lady in Houston, the mayor in Houston, wanting to subpoena the pastor's notes because they're talking about homosexuality. The homosexual gets angry. We're not, we're not judging them. We're sharing God's truth and calling them out of that sinful lifestyle to a life of righteousness and holiness and redemption. It's a message of hope and redemption. But they misjudge it because they're hostile to God. And God wants to deliver them. He tells us to cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I sense the Spirit of God at work this morning. And we have prayed that the Spirit of God would be at work this morning. So I believe He is. I believe He's at work. I believe He wants to do a work in each of our hearts. I don't know what you're wrestling with in your own personal life, but we certainly know that anxiety is a universal issue that we all deal with. I think it's part of not just humanness, I think it's part of fallenness because we've fallen away from God. Because I think prior to the fall, I'm not sure there was anxiety, but sin certainly brought it. And you can see it in Adam and Eve, their anxiousness about being found out about their sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you are anxious because you are living a life separated from God and you are living in sin. I have good news for you. God wants to deliver you out of your sin. And I don't know how many times you've rejected him, but it is the grace of God one more time reaching out to you saying, are you going to reject it again or are you going to accept it? And I guess an even bigger question is, if not today, when? If not now, when? What is it you are holding on to that you don't want to give up to God? God wants you. He died for you. He sent his son to die. He has made eternal provision for our soul. 
And I encourage you, would you have the courage to speak with me at the end of the service and say, you know what, Roy? I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I believe he died for me, shed his blood on the cross that I could be forgiven. Today is the day of salvation, my friend. I encourage you, will you give your life to Jesus? Maybe you're here and you have some secret sin in your life. How long are you going to do that? Will you give it up for the sake of Jesus and your eternal destiny? I encourage you to give it up. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer, but you have had your mind controlled by something down here that has defeated you. The anxiety level in your heart has held you in bondage way too long. Today's the day of deliverance. Would you lean on God's eternal provision, his salvation, eternal life? We're going to look at others next week. I would encourage you. Encourage all of us. We have to apply these daily. (laughs) I wish I could tell all of us, you won't be anxious after today. Um, You might be anxious before the day's out. I might be. But the good news is, we have a Father in heaven. We have a spirit within us that is our advocate that works on our behalf. And I'm thankful for that. What is God saying to you this morning? Would you be willing? Maybe it's time for you to take a step of growth. Some of you do have probably a fear of people. You're afraid of relationships. The phobia is real for you. You tense up just thinking about it. Do you know that you are being defeated by Satan with that kind of lifestyle? Because you are being robbed of fellowship, encouragement, bearing one another's burdens, praying for one another, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. My heart goes out to you. Life was never meant to be lived alone. And you may be here in this group, and you may be as alone as you can be. My friend, would you be willing to step out and say, you know what, I'm just going to meet one person. God, give me the courage to meet one person to stay after, to talk with them. I mean, you, you have to take a step and God will meet you where you are. I'm not saying you're not going to feel a little nervous or anything. You may, but you know what? In spite of that, obey God and he will honor you for it. Would you do that? As I close in prayer this morning, I do want to encourage you, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I just want to say it again. I believe the Spirit of God is at work. Would would this be the day that you would acknowledge your sinfulness before a holy God? And say, God, I need you. I want you. Help me put my faith and trust in you. Make me a new person in Jesus Christ. I want that relationship with you. 
I encourage you to do that. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.